The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Sports Baseball Show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Madorsky and Alex Spector. Welcome to episode 32 of the Underdog Sports MLB Show with Sam Beck. My name is Chase Madorsky. Uh, Bryce can, is not with us today. Um, he is in the middle of a undisclosed labor dispute, which we won't get into. He is also off in the mountains of Vermont, where I can only assume he is skiing and having a fun time. Uh, so it's just going to be me and Sam running through the playoffs this week with you today. Um, Bovada Sportsbook Picks of the Week coming up. We got the ALCS and NLCS Game 2 predictions. But first, like always, uh, we're going to go into our little Yankees rant. So, Sam, this is a really easy one because uh, this is our 32nd show. Um, and it's the first time, really, I think, since we've been going on these, like, side little tirades almost, um, that we've had a retired number for the Yankees. So, 32, this is the Elton Howard edition. Um, and the former MVP for the Yankees, first African-American player in New York. I'm not even going to bother going through the whole list because it's, uh, you know, Elton Howard, good Yankee. Uh, but on the side, Sam, big win for the Canes yesterday. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll take it. Not uh, not the best performance, not the prettiest game I've ever seen, but a win's a win, right? A win's a win, especially against a ranked team. And look, for me, this was the best college football week of the entire year because UCLA didn't play. Yep, that's true. Got some good sets games myself, yesterday. Sets myself up not to be disappointed. Uh, my brother was a little upset because he's a little new to the sports betting world. And, I mean, how many times have you and I, either separately or together, thrown, like, five-team parlays that would have netted us a ton of money only for, like, one of the games not to hit? Uh, pretty much every time I do it. Yeah. So, yesterday we had a six-teamer. It was going to be for, like, 500 bucks. Tennessee shit the bed against – or Mississippi State shit the bed against Tennessee. Um, and then we proceeded to hit our next five games. So, needless to say, he's not happy with me right now. Um, but he's getting yeah. on a flight to Columbus, so ultimately I don't have to deal with it for another month plus. Yeah, arguably the number one team in the country right now. Go Buckeyes, right? Buckeyes are kicking butt, especially now that Georgia got beat uh, in South Carolina – or against South Carolina yesterday. The game was actually in Georgia. Um, yeah, that sets up for the Buckeyes really nicely. Uh, and before we got going, I thought uh, – Sam, you did not fast on Wednesday, right, for Yom Kippur? Uh, nope, I did not. So Sam prioritized work over faith, which is totally cool. It's 2019. We're living in corporate America, especially with DV and Donald at the helm. Uh, but I did think it was worth sharing. There were other people who did do that. Uh, and this tweet from Yair Rosenberg, uh, who you know had to have been fasting with a name like that, right? Yeah, he was in Temple the entire day, 100%. Well, he was in Temple. He got out of Temple early enough to have this tweet 
wondering how this Nats-Dodgers game ends. A simple playoff heuristic for you. The team with a Jewish player playing on Yom Kippur loses. Bregman played, Astros lost. Max Fried pitched, Braves lost. And Jock Peterson is playing tonight for the Dodgers. And spoiler alert, the Dodgers lost. So for all you Jewish players and fans of the game listening, take off on Yom Kippur. If you don't play in the sport, you're hurting yeah, your team. Just don't play. God is just don't play. God is listening. God is watching. Play. And uh, if you're Jock Peterson, you may have cost your manager your job, which we'll get into in a little bit. <laughs> yep, something like that. But on that note, we'll go right into our Bavada Sportsbook Picks of the Week. First game we have today is game two of the ALCS between the New York Yankees and Houston Astros. James Paxton on the bump for the Yankees. Justin Verlander for the Astros. Bavada has this at plus one and a half, minus 145, plus 141 for the Yankees, minus one and a half, plus 125, minus 162 for the Astros. To me, this is a bit of a tough one, but... Uh, as we'll get to in a little bit, the Yankees looked really good in game one last night. I think Paxton will keep it close, having pitched for the Mariners. A lot of experience in Minute Maid and in the AL West in general. I don't know if the Yanks are going to win, but I do like them at plus one and a half, minus 145. Sam, what are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, this is obviously a huge game. Um, I think it's one that if you have a brain, you should probably bet on the, bet on the Astros. I personally will probably take the Yankees' money line because how often do you get them with plus odds? Um, and the way they hit the ball yesterday, they look pretty good. Um, but, yeah, it would be huge to win to win two in Houston. That would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, that would be enormous for the Yankees. But at a minimum, and, again, I don't want to spoil our ALCS recap of game one too much, but spoiler alert, if you didn't watch, Yankees won 7 nothing. It was great. Um, it was a really fun match to watch. Absolutely was mashing the ball. I mean, Glaber, five RBIs. Tanaka looked every bit of the A's we paid for him uh, when he made the jump to the United States. But I, I think in a minimum, just knowing you got three, four, five at the stadium now, and even if they take two of three at the stadium, the fact that it's going to go back to a game six, given Verlander, or you have Cole waiting for you in game three, uh, I think that's really big if you're a Yankees fan. Um, and Sam, I drank the Kool-Aid. I made a big mistake. I am now going to games three, four, and five next week. Attaboy. Um, Chase, and, be, yeah. betting-related question. How many days off has Verlander had since his last start? Four? So Verlander last pitched on – so that series ended Thursday, and he pitched on three days rest Tuesday. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, normal rest. Normal rest. But, I mean, his uh, third, start in, third start in eight days? Seven his, days? Probably relatively close to it. I mean, that's uh, the, the end of the season wear and tear. We saw it with um, <clears throat> Chapman last year. Pitchers, when they start to get a little tired late in the season, not, not so great. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's his third start in eight days, Sam. I actually did the math. Both the ALDS series start last Saturday, and Verlander won game one. So three starts in eight days. Um, bodes well, that bodes well. Making, where Paxton's making his second appearance. I mean, Paxton has thrown less than five innings in eight days. So we'll see. That could be either really good or really bad for the Yankees. Uh, I feel like there's not a whole lot of gray in between there. We'll probably know in the first inning. Correct. And and one complaint I actually do have for the Yankees, um, kind of a fuck you to everybody with postseason tickets, in my opinion. I know the American League and National League are supposed to be on equal footing and this and that, which I agree with in principle. 
Um, but one series, you have the 3-4 matchup of the Cardinals and the Nationals. And the other one, you have these two superpowers. Um, you know, the Yankees won 103 games. The Astros won 107. I mean, this is the matchup that baseball fans have been waiting for since March. And one of the games, game three, is at four fucking o'clock. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just not smart. Don't you want people no. to be able to go to the game and watch the game? Like, I mean, I, I looked at the schedule, and I, I'm, thank God I happened to look and just didn't assume it was an 8 o'clock game because now I'm going to have to scheme my boss into letting me leave early. Um, it's not really going to be much of a scheme. I'm kind of just going to tell him, hey, I'm taking a half day today. Um, but it's a half day I didn't want to have to use this early. Right. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, from a, a purely business standpoint, put the game at 730. Yeah. Or, I, it, or just even 7 o'clock. Give me a fighting chance to get there from work where I don't have so, to leave early. And, what, do you know uh, what the – is it because there's a National League game at 8? Yeah, it's because National League, I think up to this point, haven't really gotten the prime time when it's been that of the American League. So I think they wanted to give at least one National League game the prime time spot. I mean, game four of the ALCS in Yankee Stadium should be prime time TV. Not even game four, it's game three. Game three. It could be a 1-1 series and be one of the most pivotal, pivotal baseball games played this season, and it's a 4 o'clock game. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. I also want to note um, something to look for for the Yanks because this series is now guaranteed to go Game 5, is this Thursday, Game 5 of the ALCS, Joe Buck will not be on the call. Um, I don't know how you feel about Joe Buck, but as a baseball commentator at least, I think he's great. And I do think he very much balances out John Smoltz's anti-Yankee sentiment. And Buck will be on the call instead for the Broncos-Chiefs game, and we'll have Joe Davis of the Dodgers as a fill-in. Not huge news, but just something I thought would be worth sharing. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I'm actually not a huge Joe Buck football guy. Um, I think he's great at baseball. Him doing football is not my favorite. Um, But, yeah, it's a bummer that he won't be calling the game. And I do wonder what I would think of Joe Buck if he had partners who didn't hate the teams I like. Because Aikman is the biggest Cowboys homer in the world. And well, seems to And seems to do nothing but Cowboys games. And Smoltz, I mean, look, Smoltz, you're a Hall of Famer and you still want to ring. I know if it wasn't for the Yankees, maybe you would have won four. But it might be time to get over it a little bit. You know, cut us some slack. Should have pitched better. I mean, if Big Poppy can do it with A-Rod and give the Yankees some credit, there's no reason John Smoltz can't. That's my only thoughts on yeah. that. Um, moving to Big our second Big, Nevada sport. Big Poppy was hilarious in the postgame last night. Uh, did you watch? Did you see what he, I mean, I just – Was yeah, he drunk? Was great. Oh, I don't know. But it's he, just amazing. He compared, it he was, compared the team in the game to Silence of the Lambs. I was like, what are you talking about, dude? I mean, I just thought it was – to me, an iconic, like, 30 seconds of video when you saw in the ninth inning Frank Thomas walking to the booth, followed by A-Rod, followed by David Ortiz. <laughs> oh, yeah. Frank Thomas looked like the bouncer leading them into the club. You know what's unbelievable with Frank Thomas, though? I, for a guy – I mean, to me, Frank Thomas still looks like he can play. And he, looks like he, should playing, time, he looks like he should be playing defensive line in the NFL. He's humongous. And every time I see him on these eugenics commercials, which is basically – not Viagra, Viagra. I'm just like, the big hurt. Are you hurting? Like, what's the deal there? There's no way this guy should need Viagra. Nope. No, he's, he's just got to make a little extra cash. That's all. 
on testosterone booster, though? I feel like that's the <laughs> last thing I would want to make extra cash on. I'm a Hall of Fame athlete. My nickname was literally the Big Hurt, and now I need testosterone to get my body going. They should be selling it as you get a, a little pill sprinkled with some of Frank Thomas's testosterone. I'd buy that. I would buy that. Give me well. a little. Uh, mo- give me a little big, big hurt juice. The phrase could be the big hurt. So, eh, what I was going to say, as I was saying it out loud, is not going to come out right <laughs> at all. Maybe something along the lines of uh, to give them a hurt and drink the big hurt. I, I don't know. Is there any way that yeah. you can mold what I'm trying to say into something politically correct? Um, nothing that would be acceptable for a TV commercial. That's for sure. Yeah, you like get the, you get what I'm trying to get to though. Yeah. Uh huh. I think we're on the same page. You know, it's something along the lines of going to Pound Town with the big hurt. <laughs> yep. There you go. There <laughs> to you be go. as blunt as possible. Moving to our second Bavada Sportsbook picks of the week. Cardinals are visiting the Nats. This game is actually tomorrow at 7:38. Very specific start time. Not 7:30. Not 8. 7:38. So remember to set your television. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals and their ace, Jack Flaherty, visiting Washington, down 2-0 against Steven Strasburg and the Nats. Bovada has this a plus 1.5, minus 200, plus 108 for the Cardinals. And Bovada has minus 1.5, plus 170, minus 128 for the Nats. Looking at this game, I think as good as Jack Flaherty has been in the second half, um, Steven Strasburg has shown he does not get phased by big game situations at all. I think this is going to be a pitcher's duel through the end, but the Cardinals offense has been anemic at best the first two games. Uh, and for that reason, give me the Nats money line minus 128. I think they jump out to a 3 0 lead. Um, I'm going to go the other way on that one. I think uh, not likely the uh, Cardinals lay an egg again. Um, probably get a good start from Flaherty and uh, make this a series. So I'm going to go Cardinals money line. Also, I'm going to pat myself on the back right, on the back right now. I know the Yanks-Astros series is so far from being over, but the Yanks did win game one on the road in Houston, which I think is really important. And Huge. the Nats are up to – Nats are at a 2-0 lead. The Yanks Nationals pick is looking better and better by the day for the World Series. Yeah, that was, that was one of your better calls, Chase. You know, there was uh, maybe my only good call of the year, honestly. Um except Jack Flaherty for the Cy Young. He actually almost made that happen. And I did pick Verlander. So those were my good yeah. picks. We're going to ignore the Paul Goldschmidt and Aaron Judge getting hurt picks. We're definitely going to ignore Sam's Chris Dale pick that I totally deliberately did not just bring up to put him on blast but, a little but, bit. Yeah. Um, While you're at it, do you want to mention my Mookie Betts pick and my Red Sox World Series pick as well? The thing is, the Mookie Betts pick, look, Mookie didn't have a year like he did last year. And I guess this is where I'm going to go on my let's defend superstars rant. Like, Mookie Betts last year, I think fans need to realize, players aren't going to hit 346 and slug 640 very often. So, yes, Mookie Betts did not have as good of a year as he did last year. But he still had 6.8 war, led the league with 135 runs, had 40 doubles, 29 homers, same amount of ribbies, 16 steals. He walked 16 times more, 295 average, 915 OPS. 391 on base. Like, honestly, if you're no longer on Team Mookie, I don't know what to tell you. If you're a Red Sox fan and you think that, you deserve to not have him next year. You keep saying that, but I still think he's going to be a Red Sox for a long time. Oh, yeah. Look, whether or not, regardless of what I think, if you're down on Mookie, I'm just saying, you don't deserve to have him. 
because she is a superstar oh, on, off the field, every sense of the world. You know, I've got this football game on in the background, and DJ Moore is on my fantasy team, and he just dropped like a 35-yard pass. Not what you like bad. to see, you know what I mean? He's on, he's on my fantasy team as well. So, All right, that's so tough DJ for both Moore, get it Check together. It um, yeah. Before we get into our postseason recap, there's just a few headlines I want to go over just before we get caught up in the playoffs. Uh, the first is um, whether or not there's been new balls for the postseason. Uh, this came from Rob Arthur, a baseball perspective, and he made an observation Thursday that suggests things are moving in a less launchy direction for the postseason. Um, now, again, this was a small sample size. There was only 17 postseason games that have been played. But using MLB's own data, data, Arthur looked at how many homers one would expect to see based on exit velocity, launch angle, and the ballpark in which the ball was struck and found that compared to the home run rates we've seen all season long, there have been about 50% fewer home runs than expected. Uh, again, you can blame that cool October temperature, like, for instance, Annabelle Sanchez when he pitched Saturday, or Friday in D.C., uh, it was 41 degrees, the coldest postseason game ever. Um, but this model does control for weather. And B, it has actually been warmer in October thus far than it's been on average over the course of the season. Um, so what do you think about this? The MLB said that the balls used in the postseason are pulled from the same batches as balls used in the regular season. The only difference is the stamp placed on the ball. Um, but we've seen Will Smith's home run in the ninth inning of game five of the NLDS. Uh, excuse me, his fly ball. It looked like a home run off the bat. Everyone reacted as such. It died on the warning track. We've actually even seen Garrett Cole in his game five start against Tampa, switching out balls, looking for balls with higher seams. Uh, so that way he's less prone to the home run. I personally don't buy this. I think in the postseason, you're just going to get better pitching more consistently. Um, but what do you think? Do you think that the MLB didn't want the playoffs to be a slugfest or that this is just total crap and guys are just getting beat by pitchers more? Um, I don't know. I saw the tweet that you were talking about and saw, you know, a little graph with the launch angle and exit velocity um, and saying how many home runs should have been hit had it been consistent with the stats during the regular season. Um, to me, it doesn't really make much sense that the MLB would want less home runs in the postseason. Um, home runs still sell. Um, but at the same time, I, I, would, I, I guess I would believe it, um, although it could also just be um, a little bit more proof that the um, stat tracking and the exit below stuff is all kind of approximate, not not so accurate, not as accurate as everyone thinks. Um, and that could have something to do with it as well. I'm really not sure. Um, but I, I I would say having watched, you know, the majority of the games so far, there have been a couple that look like they probably should have gone and kind of died. Um, and, and you look, just for an example, um, last night, Glaber's bloop single was like, that's one that usually kind of hangs up there and the center fielder is able to come and make a play. Um, and that dropped real quick. So. Yeah. I think another great example, I think another great example to that point is when Bregman got doubled off by judge, you know, that play was happening right in front of him in right field. And a lot of analysts did think that maybe this was an example of a different read than he would get in the regular season. Um, just because in the regular season, that ball's hit. I think he just assumes it's going to go over here in the playoffs and hung up again. I don't know how many right fielders are, you know, six, seven, like judge where there's a little bit of an advantage there. Um, but I mean, that was another that example. Was thick play. Yeah. Yeah. That was the nail yeah. in the coffin last night for Houston. Yes. And you hate yeah, to be right. To you're Bergman. right. Go ahead. Sorry about that. No, it's all good. You hate to see it happen to Bregman because he's a member of the tribe, but 
I, I'll, I'm I've got no problem with it. <laughs> uh, speaking of a member of the tribe, I guess this is the best transition I've had in a while. Um, Gabe Kapler, he is out after two years in Philadelphia as the manager. Um, Phillies really underachieved uh, this season. They were 581 and 81. They have not had a winning season since the last time they made the playoffs all the way back in 2011. Uh, and that's despite a huge offseason. Bryce Harper, Andrew McCutcheon, JT Realmuto, um, David Robertson, all these guys they brought back. Um, and owner John Middleton said several years ago, I promised our loyal fans that I would do everything in my power to bring a world championship team to our city. I will never waver from that commitment. I've decided that some changes are necessary to achieve our ultimate objective. Consequently, we will replace our manager. I am indebted to Gabe for the, for the steadfast effort, energy, and enthusiasm that he brought to our club. We are unquestionably a better team and organization as a result of his contribution. Kapler is the third consecutive Phillies manager to be fired after no more than two full seasons, joining Pete Mackinnon and Ryan Sandberg. Uh, Middleton said GM Matt Kletnack will lead the team's search for a new manager, and pitching coach Chris Young, amongst others, are out. Uh, Phillies last year were third at 80 and 82, finished 10 games behind the Phillies. Uh, excuse me, behind the Braves for the division. Phillies can't finish behind the Phillies. That would be crazy. And um, this is just interesting to me because this was the GM guy and they brought him in and it seems like he's out pretty quickly. John Middleton made it very clear the owner. This was his decision. Um, personally, I think Kapler's going to end, end up right on his feet. I do think there's a chance he ends up as the next manager of the Giants. Um, Farhan Zaidi, uh, who's the president of the Giants, they used to work together in Los Angeles when – Kapler was the head of player development there, so he'll end up on his feet. But uh, to me, this may automatically become the most attractive job opening, maybe with Chicago, uh, just because you have so much big league talent, a good farm. Whoever the next manager is, you're going to know at a minimum you got Bryce Harper, Real Muto, and Reese Hoskins right in the middle of the lineup. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Sam? Do you think Kapler got a raw deal and should have been given a few more years, or just given how he clashed at times with the media in the front office, it was time for a change? especially given the payroll and all the expectations on this team the past two years? Um, I think you got to personally, you got to give anybody in a leadership position um, in any sport organization, you know, more than two years. I think that's pretty short. Um, you want to give a guy time to get to know the guys, kind of build the culture. And especially with adding a guy like Bryce Harper before the season, like he got one year with Bryce Harper and that's it. You know, that seems kind of like a raw deal to me. Um, but, you know, I guess we don't really know, oh, I guess we don't really know what's, uh, what's going on in, inside the, the clubhouse and in, you know, management meetings, maybe just was, um, a bad fit there. Not really sure. Um, either way, um, kind of unrelated question. Do they not drug test, uh, managers for steroids? I, you know, they must not because Kapler is absolutely massive. He's, uh, he's gotta be on the sauce, right? He might be. I, I don't know if he's on the sauce because he seems to be a guy who's just so dedicated to his fitness regimen that he legitimately may be clean just because he's a work. He's a true workout warrior. Um, but I, I'm with you there. I, I would be very surprised if he wasn't on something I mean, at least, whether it's as simple as creatine. The guy is 44 years but, old. You're not supposed to look like that when you're 44 years old. Especially a 44-year-old like Jewish guy. I hate to bring race into it in life. <laughs> Uh, you know, forty-four-year-old Jewish guys don't look like that. Yeah, they tend to look—they tend to look the same, and it's not like that. Yeah, and I think this Phillies opening. Uh, I think one major candidate that comes to mind for me. I think they're going to want someone with experience. 
I think in any sport, when there's a managerial or, or a leadership change, like you mentioned, you kind of tend to do a 180. Same in politics. Mm-hmm. You want what you didn't have before. Um, and for that reason, I think Buck Showalter, there's a decent chance he becomes the next manager of the Phillies. Um, he worked with their front office, Andy McPhail and Matt Kletnack, when they were all with the Baltimore Orioles. And I just think Buck is a guy, I think this team is somebody who needs a no-frills, no-bullshit manager and a leader in the clubhouse. Maybe someone a little more old school, be it Buck, Joe Madden, Joe Girardi. Um, so I, I was going to say, I could see Girardi I, being a I could see Girardi being a great fit there. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things at this point where other dominoes have to start to fall. I mean, we now have eight managerial openings in the MLB, so over a quarter of MLB teams will have a new manager next season. Um, and, and I just think it's hard to make any predictions without other guys going first. Like, I think Girardi would maybe be the favorite for any job that he wants, but I think the Cubs are his first choice. So I don't know if he even takes a, an interview – before he hears from the Cubs, you know what I mean? It's just that it's the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. If I were him, by the way, I, I'd give the Mets a really, 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 really good thought and a lot of considerations. Like he kind of got a raw deal from, from his end, from the Yanks. Um, would probably be pretty cool to go across town and, and play for a team with a lot of potential or to manage a team with a lot of potential like the Mets who um, you'll play the Yankees a handful of times, but um, with, with a small step forward, will be a, a playoff contender next year. No, I, I agree with you. I think that the only, my only thought on that is I totally agree. The revenge narrative, I mean, it writes itself. I think one thing to note with Girardi, though, is that he is from the Chicago area. He went to Northwestern. He came up as a Cub. I mean, this would be his dream job. Um, but that said, if he doesn't get the dream job, I do think the Mets would be a very good second place type of, I mean, a Mets second place. Isn't that the uh, statement of the year? Um, <laughs> I do think the Mets would be a very good, you know, second landing spot for him. You know, I think the only thing that's going to make the Mets opening interesting and why I'm really sticking to my guns that Beltran is going to be the guy is, you know, Girardi, Buck, um, Joe Madden, you know, whoever it is, some of these older managers, you know, I think they're self-aware that they're not going to make what they used to the managerial market from a financial standpoint with all these young analytic heavy guys, Boone, Hinch, Alex Cora, you know, coming in and succeeding right away. Managers don't get paid that much. I mean, we just saw Mattingly take a pay cut in Miami, but the Wilpons are already paying Callaway a million dollars next year um, to not manage their team. I I just don't see them being the team that's going to spend a ton of money on a manager, even if they're a big-name guy um, who would also make sense for their team like a Joe Girardi. They're also paying Bobby Bonilla a million dollars next year. Don't forget about that. I I mean, the Mets, what a (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> what a crazy situation they got. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at, at the I same thought... point, at the same point, Chase, just to go back quickly, is like these guys are not strapped for cash. They're not, you know, doing this no. to make a, a living per se. Like they all are, are competitors and want to go to a place where they can win. Um, and, and the financial consideration here is probably not um, on the top of the list. They want to be a, a, in a place where they're happy and, and a team that can win. No, I'm totally with you there. Um, speaking of money, you know, we talk about the finances of MLB. It seems like, you know, between service time and free agency, this and that, you know, it's, it's looking more and more increasingly likely every month that we're heading towards a labor dispute when the collective bargaining agreement expires. Um, but something I thought was really interesting to note real quick is qualifying offers. Uh, so basically what that is, 
free agents to be can be made a qualifying offer following the conclusion of the postseason. If they accept it, their salary is a one-year deal with their most recent team, which is the average salary of the top 125 salaries across the room. Um, and that's a qualifying offer. It's been in place every year since 2012. Basically, that's in place so that way, if the players want a one-year prove-it deal, they're still getting a nice contract. And if a player signs with another team and is attached to a qualifying offer, the team that loses them gets drafted competition. I'm not going to get into that. Um, but this is the first year since that system was in place that the qualifying offer has gone down. It's only $100,000, but it has gone down from 17.9 to 17.8 million, which big picture means the top 125 players in baseball are making less on average. Uh, do you think this is mm-hmm. going to be another thing that's brought up in the pending labor dispute across baseball? Um, that I don't know. Uh, the the amount of money that the players are, are getting that's kind of an insignificant change, honestly. A hundred grand out of you know almost eighteen million is sort of like you know it is what it is. It'll change year year over year, um, depending what you know new guys have gotten new big deals. Um, but I think this is something that's important to actually keep keep in um, from the team's perspective. It allows teams to more easily keep their, their young talent for even just one extra year. Um, and it is kind of a way to, to protect teams from just having big markets steal um, up and coming superstars. Um, it's worked great no, in the I, NHL. I, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a good thing for parity and, and allowing teams to successfully, you know, build from the ground up and, and build through a farm system rather than doing the, um, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it, the Yankees style of just signing free agents and throwing money at, at whoever you want. Um, this kind of, you know, dissuades teams from wanting to do that. No, and I, and I think it's also fair. I mean, look, for the teams, you mentioned the mid-market teams. You know, I'll, I'll throw out Francisco Lindor, even though I think he's going to get traded. It's like when Lindor leaves eventually because the Indians aren't going to want to pay him. At least they're going to get a first-round pick for him. But I also think for, you know, the players, it's a fair thing. Um, you look at a guy like Ryu this year. Ryu accepted a qualifying offer with the Dodgers, made his $17.8 million, $17.9 million this year, um, and now he's going to hit free agency with nothing attached. Where I, I do think it's fair for the players where if you don't want to bet on yourself, you can get the guaranteed contract. And then the following year, you can't get attached to the qualifying offer again. So no matter what, you're hitting unrestricted free agency. Um, good system for both sides. But another thing, I, it's 100% going to come up that, oh, now the top 125 mm-hmm. players, the average salary is going down uh, because that then I think starts to trickle down from like, you know, the tier one elite players to, okay, even like the, you know, good, not great players are making less. Um, an example of which would be DJ LeMayu, honestly. Let's go with DJ LeMayu. Um, you know, when a guy like DJ LeMayu who won a batting title – and raked in Colorado is only making $12 million a year, I think that's, like, exactly what this issue pertains to. Yeah, no, uh, and that, that makes sense. Um, I also think the number attached to it could very easily go up next winter. Um, mm. I think I, – I don't know off the top of my head what um, – how it's changed year over year, but I, I could see, you know, that just being a product of um, the past off season. Um, and how the the salary cap um, or, or how how big contracts have played out recently, and I, I could see that you know going up to eighteen or eighteen point one or two, um, you know next year, and kind of just fluctuating dependent on the market and, and who's signing big deals in what years. 
Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. Um, two guys who are leaving the market and I thought deserved shout-outs because they announced their retirements after their respective game five in the NLDS. First one's Brian McCann. The Atlanta Braves catcher said on Wednesday he's retiring after 15 seasons. McCann, 35, revealed his plans after Atlanta's 13-1 loss to the visiting Cardinals in the decisive game five of the NLDS. This is it for me, he told reporters. I'm going to go home and be a dad and play with those kids. Georgia-born, Georgia-bred, was drafted by the Braves, played with them for nine seasons, and was an all-star uh, seven times, was a Yank in 2014 through 16, won the World Series with the Astros in 2017, and then played – uh, for Brian Snitsker, his former double-A manager this past year with the Braves, six-time Silver Slugger, 1,000 career RBIs, um, and finished his career 262, 282 homers, 1,018 ribbies. This year, 12 homers and 45 ribbies in 85 games. Uh, McCann, you know, was a guy I think once upon a time maybe was on a Hall of Fame pace, and then when he got to the Yankees sort of hit that uh, point in a catcher's career where I think the years catch up to the knees a little bit. Um, but a real professional player. I always loved him on the Yankees. And uh, in a weird way, I think it's almost good for the game that Brian McCann is retiring because as great as he was off the field and on the field, he was maybe more so than any other player in baseball, uh, a guardian of old school baseball and the unwritten rules. I mean, I remember him getting into it with Jose Fernandez and countless other guys. Uh, So Brian McCann, we will miss your performance, uh, but we won't miss the antics. Uh, any memories of the can that you had, uh, especially like this time with the Yankees? Um, n- nothing that sticks out for me, you know, especially I kind of think he was one of those guys who, um, you know, maybe lacked that, you know, one iconic moment, at least as a Yankee. Um, mm-hmm. But I do agree with what you were saying about the won't miss the old school unwritten rules. It's, no, some of them are some of them are are going to be around forever, and that's fine. But a lot of that nonsense is like, you know, let's let's keep baseball fun, and you want young kids having fun playing baseball. Make baseball fun again, brother. Guy who didn't make yeah. baseball fun in the postseason and is also retiring. David Freeze, the longtime veteran, announced his retirement on Saturday, days after the Dodgers were eliminated from the NLDS on Wednesday. He played 11 seasons with stops with the Pirates, Dodgers, Angels, and Cardinals. He said family, friends, teammates, coaches, and fans that handed out support, especially when your lives are already full. You helped more than you know. You took a 23-year-old kid out of college and pushed him to 36. Can't thank you enough for that. Needed it. Uh, Freeze will be forever remembered for his postseason heroics as he helped the Cardinals stave off elimination in the 2011 World Series. His game-tying RBI triple in the bottom of the ninth and 11th inning walk-off homer in game six live on, on the most memorable moments uh, in postseason history, some of the most memorable moments in postseason history, earning him World Series MVP after the Cardinals 6-2 win in Game 7. Uh, he also won the NLCS MVP in 2011, become of one, becoming one of seven players in postseason history to win the LCS and World Series MVP in the same season. 277 lifetime average, 113 homers, 535 RBIs, a one-time All-Star. And in his career, 299, 370, 549 hitter in the postseason. David Freeze will never have to buy a meal in St. Louis again. Um, but, I mean, Sam, we were 14, 15 years old in 2011. I mean, what do you remember of those Freeze home runs and his postseason heroics? Because to me, I mean, those do stand out as some of the signature baseball moments that I can remember. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that triple that you mentioned especially is like, you know, one of those situations where um, that's the kind of thing you're like playing in your driveway or your backyard. Um, you know, runners on base, 
clutch moment of the game. I got to hit one off the wall. Um, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, I mean, absolutely delivered. Whether or not Nelson Cruz should have caught the ball is one thing. But, I mean, David Freeze is the classic example of a guy who regular season won't be remembered for much, um, but with the big playoffs, I mean, really carved out a unique role for him um, in MLB history. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And transitioning into what you've all been waiting for, we are now finally going to get to our postseason recap. I know you waited a half hour and change to listen. Um, but, you know, I thought we talked about what relevant storylines and you don't want to leave anything out for the sake of the postseason. Um, so ALDS, Yankees versus Twins. We're not going to go too in deep. Uh, Yankees won last Monday after our show. Uh, 5-1 victory in Minnesota to complete the sweep of the DS. It's the third time since 2009 the Yankees have swept the Twins out of the DS. And the Twins have not won a playoff game since taking game one of the ALDS against the Yankees in 2004. Glaber um, Torres hit a home run. Barely made it over the wall in the second inning, but it did. Uh, and then from there, Brett Gardner, Ribby single, Didi Gregorius, RBI single. Two more runs scored from there. Yanks held on to win 5-1. Uh, Severino getting in and out of jams, four innings, 83 pitches. But overall, given the strength of the Yankees, bullpen gave them exactly what they need. Um, but we're not here to talk about the Yankees in this series. Sam, my question for you is if you're the Twins, you out-homered the Yankees 307 to 306 in the regular season. You won 100 games. It finally looks like this is the year you may get over the hump and exercise some of those New York postseason demons. And the Yankees went out and absolutely kicked the crap out of you all three games. What's your outlook looking into next season if you're Rocco Bedelli and the Twins? Um, first and foremost, got to be let's not play the Yankees in the playoffs if we can, if we can help it. Um, Ideally, there's a, yes. There's a serious <laughs> issue there. But, but um, in all seriousness, they – they're they're close. Um, the the pitching and, and bullpen could use a little work, but their lineup is clearly, um, you know, over a 162 game season, good enough to uh, give any team a run for their money. And um, you know, th- this postseason they just didn't 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 play their best. That that that's really what it comes down to. Not not that had they, had they played their best, not that they wouldn't necessarily beat the Yankees anyway, but um, if they play their best, it's a series and. They just weren't really able to hit and get the big hit with runners on. Um, you know, they did. They did. Um, they, they they just didn't. They didn't produce enough. Yeah, I think you just mentioned it best. I think the biggest noticeable difference was the bullpen. The Yankees bullpen delivered time and time again, and the Twins bullpen really just got hit left and right by the Yankees. Um, but I do think if you're a Twins fan, the silver lining is you did win 100 games and. You have Nelson Cruz, who's your veteran masher. He's back next year. Uh, they picked up his player option for $14 million, which was an absolute no-brainer. But between Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Polanco, Buxton, this team's super young. They're super locked up. You know, they do have a little bit of money to spend, or I can see them going after an arm or two in the offseason. And really the biggest thing, you look at the AL Central, um, the Tigers and Royals are nowhere near close. I feel like we say every year the White Sox, this is going to be the year – but it hasn't been the past few years. They're going to get top prospect Michael Kopech back, but we'll see. I still don't know if I'm sold on the White Sox for next season. Um, and then from there, you look at the Indians, and yes, they're going to have Clevenger, Kluber, and our boy Shane Bieber at the top of the rotation next year, but Kluber's a free agent soon. They're going to have to trade Francisco Lindor soon, so Cleveland's core is going to be blown up sooner rather than later. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if you're a Twins fan, you take solace in just knowing that this could be your division for years to come. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving along to the ALDS, the Astros and the Rays. Um, so I did say in our Bavada picks of the week last week, going to go out on a limb, Verlander on short rest, and take the Rays money line. It was plus two something, um, and it hit. Verlander on three days rest was not sharp. He gave up three runs in the first inning. It did not last through the fourth. Rays won 4-1 and forced a decisive game five on Thursday. And uh, one thing I just want to say about this game before we go to game five, which is the, uh, the important one, the Rays went to a total bullpen game on this one. They started with reliever Diego Castillo, who struck out three in a row in the first. And then from there, they went completely to the bullpen. Um, Rain, Cy Young winner Blake Snell actually had to close the game out. Um, but that, to me, isn't the important part. I think the big thing that the Rays did here is they set a blueprint for the Yankees, actually, where Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone, nobody's revealed who the Game 4 starter is. And to me, it looks like it could be a Chad Green opener bullpenning type game. Um, so this laid the blueprint for that, which is really important. Um, but Sam, ultimately, it didn't matter because, as we're about to reveal, the Astros won the series. Um, but do you think that the Strohs made the right move, giving Verlander the ball at his age on three days rest? I mean, you mentioned before, today's going to be his third start in eight days. Um, do you think they made the right move and he just wasn't sharp? Or do you think Verlander's ineffectiveness was probably related to the fact that he is getting older and doesn't pitch on three days rest? Very often, in fact, this was the second time ever in his career that he did so. Um, I think it's both. You know, I, I think the um, probably the cause of not not ha- having a great outing and his best stuff was that he was coming off three days rest. But going into that game, you have to feel um, feel pretty good about throwing him out there. And, and honestly, what's the alternative? You know, it's not like I suppose they could have gone with a bullpen game as well, um, but despite the loss, I think that's kind of, um, that, that's the right decision. At least if, if you ask me what, what gives you the best chance to win a big game? Yeah. You give Verlander the ball. I mean, he's been a workhorse in the MLB for years and years. I'm totally with you. I just think, um, you know, it didn't cost him that series, but I, I think you made an excellent point before and that it could cost him in the long run. Um, game five, Garrett Cole. Of course, started of course, on- but you can't, sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, but you can't, you know, pick a your your game four DS starter you can't you can't make that decision based on okay well if we lose this and then win game five then Verlander is going to be no, you, his third day and eight day you have to just go one, one game at a time you gotta play to advance and I'm totally with you and you can interrupt me anytime you want how about that I know I you got it I'm, I'm self-aware <laughs> it's, a, it's 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 my greatest strength and my greatest weakness um uh, but game fair five, enough uh Garrett Cole who hasn't lost in his last like 20 something starts uh, he absolutely dominated, dominated the Rays in Game 5 of the ALDS Thursday. Tossed eight innings of one-run ball, struck out 10 in a 6-1 victory. Um, he was stuck to a comfortable 4 nothing lead after the Astros shelled opposing starter Tyler Glass now to four runs in the bottom of the first. Uh, the Astros put their first four hitters on base with three consecutive singles from George Springer, Michael Brantley, and Jose Altuve, followed by an Alex Bregman two-run double and a yearly Gurriel single to make it 4 nothing. Eric Sogard, of all people, if you haven't seen Eric Sogard, he's like what you think of when you think of, like, the Little League second baseman. Um, he's not too tall. He wears the goggles and has been around in the league for a little. <laughs> he, of all people, took Garrett Cole deep to make it 4-1. Uh, but from there, Cole was dominant. Two hits, two walks, ten strikeouts across eight innings. From there, Brantley and Altuve hit back-to-back homers off Emilio Pagan in the eighth. Roberto Osuna closed it out. Um, so I think the two narratives here are, one, have you ever seen – 
And I guess we were a little young to really remember what Pedro 99, 2000 and Schilling and Randy Johnson were doing in 2001. But have you ever seen that you can remember a dominant stretch like Garrett Cole has been putting on the past really three, four months at this point? I mean, he just struck out 10 consecutive guys or more or 10 guys or more for the 10th consecutive start. Yeah, I don't think anything to quite to that extent. Um, you know, we've definitely seen stretches where Verlander and Scherzer and, and Kershaw have been untouchable and, and pretty much unbeatable. Um, but uh, I don't think quite anything to, to that extent where he's just, you know, you, you put him on the mound um, every five games and know that you, you're going to win. Yeah. And let me ask you this. At this point, what's the price tag going to be for Garrett Cole? He's 39. He's what, 29 years old. What, he's coming off one of the Whatever he wants. Let's throw a number it's out. Whatever. I, think, I think the biggest pitching contract ever is still David Price at $217 million. I mean, is Garrett Cole going to get $250 million, $300 million, in your opinion? Uh, maybe not three, but he, he's going he's gonna to beat David Price's contract. And um, I would guess that by the end of the deal, it's people are going to be up in arms about, oh, why did we make this deal? You know, we're paying this guy so much as a 36-year-old and he's staying. But for the first half of the deal, at least, it'll be – you'll look at it and say that's money well spent. Yeah, and you feel for Tyler Glass now. I mean, he only lasted two and two-thirds innings. Um, and pretty much everybody, including Glass now himself, after the game said, yeah, I was tipping – he was tipping his pitches. Glass now himself even admitted it. Um, but I think if you're the Rays, again, you won 96 games this year. You took an absolute juggernaut to five games. Um, so I think the Rays are winners in this series. Uh, the big thing for them, they packed the trout for two games. So that, to me, shows maybe baseball does still have a home in Tampa Bay. Um, but the big loser of this series has to be, without a doubt, the Pittsburgh Pirates. When Tyler Glasnow and Garrett Cole, both former Rays farmhands, or excuse me, Pirates farmhands, were pitching a decisive playoff game Winner go home, and Austin Meadows, another prospect, another former top <laughs> prospect um, for the Pirates, was hitting leadoff for the Rays. Um, if you're the Rays, man, you absolutely fleece the Pirates. And if you're the Astros, you may have fleeced the Pirates even more. Uh, food for thought yep. there. I know I've yeah, been the Pirates fans, and I've given them a lot of shit for this, for basically making the American League way harder for the Yanks. Uh, moving yeah. to the two NLDS series, crazy game five. Uh, the first one for the Cardinals-Braves. Cardinals hung a 10th spot in the top of the first against Mike Fultonevich and Max Fried. They couldn't put out any any fire whatsoever. Cardinals won 13-1. Um, basically what happened, I'm just going to get the quick breakdown. Fultonevich, he went seven scoreless in game two, but in this game, pitching on regular rest, um, he surrendered four runs while recording just one out before being taken out of the game. He walked Dexter Fowler, little small ball. Colton Wong moved him over on a sack butt. Goldschmidt then lays the single into the hole between third and shortstop, uh, putting runners on the corners. Marcelo Zuna then singled to right to bring Fowler home. And then this, to me, was really the play that cost him the series. Freddie Freeman is the face of the Braves, but Yadi Molina hits a sharp grounder to first. It's Yadi and Ozuna on the base pass. It's going to be a sure double play. Freeman booted it, and then from there, bases are loaded. Uh, Mike Calvinder walked to force in a run. Tommy Edmond, two-run double, four-nothing. And then from there, the floodgates just opened. Um, it was a comedy of errors, as Brian McCann said. Ozuna struck out on a pitch in the dirt, uh, but McCann couldn't corral the pitch. And another run scored when McCann fell retrieving the ball. That was the 10th run to score. Um, and then from there, they scored three more runs in the following two innings. Jack Flaherty, a lot of people thought, 
Maybe you don't pitch Jack at this point. It's 10 nothing and save him for game one of the NLCS. But he was great. Six innings, one run, eight strikeouts. Mm-hmm. The bullpen held it down. Um, Cardinals advanced to the NLCS for the first time since 2014. And the Braves have now not since been since 2001. Uh, and a fun fact, the Cardinals have been in the NLCS 10 times since 2000. Um, that's the most LCS appearances of any team across Major League Baseball over that time frame. Um, I don't want to dwell on this too much because it was an absolute ass-kicking. Um, uh, but, Sam, if you're the Braves, 97 wins, and you had home field advantage, how disappointing is it that your season ended on this note? Yeah, that that hurts. And, and they definitely had higher expectations uh, for themselves. But, you know, they are a young team. Um, they'll certainly be back and, and probably better next year. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's probably just going to be one of those things we'll learn from. Um, I'm going back to that, that booted double play, though. Um, you know, that, that definitely was kind of the, the early nail in the coffin. You know, they say you can't win a game in, in the first inning, but you can, or the first couple of innings, but you can definitely lose one. And, and that was really, that was, that was that one that, that kind of put them over the edge. I thought, man, you're going to be a great little league coach one day with sayings like that. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Um, well, it's like, it's talk- like, you know, it, it, you, you got a, a big football game. You're, you're, first drive you want to set up some some early completions get your quarterback in a rhythm um the the booting of the booting of the double play was similar to like a wide open slant third down hits the receiver in the chest drops it punt um and um while not the best analogy that that was definitely the nail in the coffin dude you just set me up for a great transition for football oh Um, hell yeah hell yeah the last, the last three times that uh, – shout out to my brother, Mac, for bringing this tweet to my attention. Um, I'm actually going to pull it up in my messages real quick so that I don't butcher it because Mac's my boy. The last three times that the Braves have lost um, in an elimination game, Georgia football has lost that weekend. Wow. 2012, Braves lost to the Cardinals in a wild game. Georgia lost to South Carolina. 2013, Braves lose to the Dodgers in the DS. Georgia loses to Mizzou. Last year, Georgia lost to LSU when the Braves lost to the Dodgers. And then this week, Georgia lost to South Carolina. Just thought I'd bring it up. Fun fact. Jeez. That's, I like um, that. Moving to the other NLDS series, game four last Monday was finishing up between the Cardinals and Nats, and we were still on air. Nats won 6-1. Ryan Zimmerman hit a three-run bomb. Scherzer went seven strong. So it set it up for a winner-takes-all game. Um, in Los Angeles, Walker Bueller and Steven Strasburg on – and the Nationals looked really strong for most of um, – or, excuse me, the Dodgers looked very strong for most of NLDS Game 5. But the Nationals staged a late comeback against the Dodgers' bullpen to pull out a 7-3 victory in 10 innings. Um, pretty early on, the Nats went up – or the Nats went down. Dodgers went up. They jumped on Strasburg early. Muncie swatted a two-run homer in the first. Akike Hernandez followed up with a solo shot in the second. Walker Bueller had a 3-0 lead, and he was great. Um, he went – Six and a third, or six and two thirds innings, only gave up one run, struck out eight. Another really great performance. Um, and then from there, when he took him out after six and two thirds innings, uh, he brought in Clayton Kershaw to get Adam Eden lefty on lefty matchup to end the seventh. And Kershaw did the job, struck him out on three pitches. Strasburg on the other side after that was really solid. Seven strikeouts, three runs, six hits, and a walk. So kept the team in at the whole game. And then from there, this is where Dave Roberts completely unraveled as a manager. Brought Kershaw back out for the eighth, and on 89-mile-per-hour fastballs, he promptly gave up back-to-back home runs to Anthony Rondon and Juan Soto. 3-3, tie game. He had Kenta Maeda, their best reliever, ready in the pen, and Maeda then went on to strike out the side. Patrick Corbin bottom of the eighth for the Nats. 
Roberts sent Joe Kelly onto the mound for the ninth. He went one, two, three. Hudson sent it into extra innings with a scoreless ninth. And then Joe Kelly came out for a second inning of work. Um, he walked Adam Eaton to start the frame. Rendon hit a ground roll double. And then rather than trying to go lefty-on-lefty matchup, um, Juan Soto was intentionally walked. Howie Kedrick in an absolute grand slam bomb. 7-3, the Nationals went up. They ended up winning that game. And for the first time since 1981, um, and shredding – this goes back to the Expos days for the Nationals. The Nats are in the NLCS. Um, so, first off, I mean, this is a prime example of not giving up in a game. Always stick with it yep. because you never know what's going to happen. That's, this is an example of the phrase you play nine innings for a while. Um, yeah, that's you, never know, you never know when the opposing manager is going to mismanage his, his arms. That's my first thing. My second thing is, if you're a Dodgers fan, yes, you went home way too early. But Walker Bueller is such a stud. He's such an ace. Big games clearly don't phase him. So, I guess that's your silver lining. Is even as mm-hmm. you and Kershaw get older, Walker Bueller's your age, Sam, um, mm-hmm. and just absolutely lighting up big league headers. Um, but Clayton Kershaw, I mean, and again, Dave Roberts did not put him in an, in any type of a situation to succeed in the eighth inning here. Um, you had Pedro Baez ready, you had Kenley Jansen ready, Adam Kalerik had held Soto to over three with two strikeouts in the lefty lefty matchup. None of them were used in game three in meaningful situations. And Robert said after the game, you know, Kershaw was the guy we wanted, you know, based on the past history. But at the end of the day, I think Kershaw and Dave Roberts both need to realize that this isn't the Kershaw of old. He was throwing high 80s fastballs and he got rocked for it. Um, So the monkey is still not off Kershaw's back. He probably has the most complex legacy in baseball, maybe history of any non-PED related guys. Um, But Mm -hmm. I guess my question is, You know, between leaving Kershaw in, Joe Kelly, uh, who only went multiple innings of eight of his 55 appearances during the regular season, he comes out again for the ninth. Kenley Jansen, who's your multi-million dollar closer, doesn't make an appearance until you're down four. I know Dave Roberts has averaged 98 wins the past four years. He's great in the clubhouse. Um, You know, he brought you the back-to-back World Series. But Dodgers won 106 games this year and got bounced in the first round. If you're the L.A. media and if you're a Dodgers fan, would you be calling for Dave Roberts' job right now? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, it's it's inexcusable um, to, to mismanage a game like that. Um, I personally appreciate it because it put a little smile on my face watching Joe Kelly give up that grand slam. But that's just me. Oh, it's it's never not fun to hate Joe Kelly. I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I do think one interesting note, Dodgers did publicly say he'll be back for 2020, Dave Roberts. But I do think it's worth to say that Andrew Friedman was the guy who gave Joe Madden his first managerial job in Tampa Bay. He runs the Dodgers, and if Friedman's back and Joe Madden says, well, I want to manage in Los Angeles, but I don't want to manage the Angels, I want to manage the Dodgers, don't sleep on that, especially with so many other veterans back. Personally, I think you have to bring Dave Roberts back, but if you're a Dodgers fan and you want him gone – um, I totally get it because between this, keeping you Darvish in to get rocked in game seven of the 2017 World Series or giving Rich Hill the quick hook in game four of the World Series last year, this is not the first time Roberts has mismanaged his pitching staff. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting to note going forward. But pair of upsets in the National League, which brings us real quick, and we'll wrap up with this to our two championship series matchups. Astros and Yanks played game one last night, and the Yankees blitzkrieg the Astros. 7 nothing win on Saturday. Um, Masahiro Tanaka was unbelievable. Six innings of one hit ball. Uh, he faced the minimum amount of hitters. 
came out after 68 pitches, which who knows, maybe might even put him in line to start in game four. Gleyber yeah. Torres had a home run and five RBIs. He's the third youngest player in baseball history with five RBIs in a postseason game and the first Yankee. Um, Cranky was good. I mean, three runs, six innings, gave him a chance to win. Um, Glaber, though, I mean, it was his story. Ribby double, hit the solo home run. Um, Two-run single that you mentioned, the one that fell in, and then from there had a ribby ground out late in the game. I mean, really the two turning points in this game, I would say, one, Bregman getting doubled off for, uh, in the fifth inning uh, when Jordan Alvarez hit that liner to first base, which uh, me and you were texting about it last night, but D.J. LeMayu is a gold-glove second baseman, but he plays first like the best first baseman I've ever seen in my life with some of his scoops. He's incredible. He's inc- he is incredible playing first base. Yeah, I mean, he is an absolute stud at first. And, I mean, looking at the rest of the game, really the only other issue was seventh inning, Adovino comes in, and Didi and Glaber just kind of stare at that ground ball at the middle. Next at bat, though, was completely rectified by the double play. Oh, um, that, was, that was the most Yankee thing ever. They made slight error. They're like, yeah, it's okay. We're just going gonna, gonna to double off the next guy, no harm, no foul. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Yep, 100%. And I just think it's worth noting with um, Tanaka and Greinke, um, the first is, you know, Greinke I do think is a Hall of Fame pitcher, but he is now allowed multiple home runs in three straight postseason starts, uh, which is the second longest streak, surprisingly enough, between uh, behind Corey Kluber's four such games. Um, so two aces who have really struggled in the postseason a little bit there. Um, but really the story of this game, as great as Glaber was with Tanaka, um, like I said, retired in the minimum 18 batters over six, 68 pitches, and his 1.32 ERA in seven postseason starts is the second lowest ever in the dead ball era behind Sandy Koufax with third. Isn't it the third lowest? I think that's what they said on the broadcast. I think second it got third. lower. The, the tweet I read was second behind Koufax, um, but I mean 41 innings pitched in the playoffs, and he's allowed six earned runs. And he's the first pitcher oh. ever with two earned runs or less in his first seven postseason starts. Like, just really yeah, unbelievable. Insane. And, and by the way, he was not – he wasn't sweating last night. He, like, didn't even look like he was working. Yeah, he was in total command. And if it's any yeah. other team and the Yankees don't have that bullpen, uh, he's pitching a complete game. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, moving to the NLCS to wrap this up. Game one of the NLCS began with a whimper a little bit on Friday. Nationals hurler Annabelle Sanchez tossed seven and two-thirds no-hit innings against the Cardinals. He looked unbelievable. Um, in game three of the NLDS, he only issued one run and struck out nine over five innings against the Dodgers. So he has absolutely been dealing. Um, 91 pitches through seven and two-thirds. He allowed one walk, two hits by pitch. Um, Jose Martinez came in, pitch hit single. And that was ultimately the only hit that the Cardinals ended up getting the entire game. Uh, Miles Mikalas, on the flip side of things, he was great. Six innings, one run for the Cardinals. Um, and then when he came out in the seventh, bullpen allowed another one, two nothing. And this was the Annabelle Sanchez story. He became the first pitcher in baseball history um, with multiple postseason outings of five plus no hit innings. Um, so keep that in mind for a second. And um, any thoughts on Sanchez or just how he utterly carved up the Cardinals in game one? Yeah, he looked untouchable. It was, it, was, it was fun to watch. And this, I think, makes the Nats really scary because Sanchez is the clear number four option in that pitching staff, and he's arguably pitched the best of any of them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, excuse me, I got that fact wrong. He's the first player in postseason history with multiple career no-hit bids of at least six-plus innings, um, which is good to remember because yesterday Max Scherzer became the second, um, and he became <laughs> the first pitcher to register five separate no-hit attempts of five plus, five separate no-hit attempts of five-plus innings in the postseason. Um, Nats won three-one yesterday. Scherzer <clears throat> absolutely was dealing on the mound. Uh, he went seven scoreless. Michael Taylor with the solo home run, Adam Eaton with the big two-run double. And before I get into this game, Scherzer and Annabelle Sanchez uh, originally were the first pair of teammates with back-to-back playoff no-hit outings of five-plus innings or more. Um, And they did that back in 2013. And now six years later in 2019, they did it with a different team, um, which is baseball. That's the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. It would be it would so, be cool, not that I'm not that I'm hoping for, it, but it would be cool to see um, that starting rotation go up against the uh, the Astros in the World Series. That would that would be fun. But um, I'm with you. Um, so those are the big hits for the Nats. Scherzer goes seven. Starter Patrick Corbin gets the one out in the seventh lefty lefty matchup, and then from there Sean Doolittle came in, or excuse me, Doolittle pitched the eighth. Corbin lefty lefty for the ninth. Hudson closes the game out. Um, <laughs> Per MLB stats, the win cemented the national status as the first NL team to give up three or fewer hits in back-to-back postseason games since the Red held the Giants to five collective hits in game two and three of the 2012 NLDS. Um, One question for you, Sam, I'll mention. Um, Adam Wainwright, he was fantastic yesterday. Um, He went seven-plus innings, struck out 11, and so far in the postseason, gone a total of 15 innings pitched, three earned runs, 19 Ks, and two postseason starts. So, this is it for him with the Cardinals. He's making him count. Um, but when Adam Eden was up in the eighth inning and had the two-run double uh, to give them a little bit of support for the Nationals, Adam Miller, who's a postseason legend, he was ready to go in the bullpen. Um, do you think Miller should have been the one to face the lefty and Adam Eden, or are we going old school? Wainwright's an old school gamer. You keep him in there to try to finish what he started. Uh, I don't know. That's – that's one of those where hindsight usually will, you know, it, it's so close. It's probably 50-50 on going into that situation who you pick. Um, I like I like sticking with the guy who's showing you he's got great stuff that night and, um, you know, hoping he, he can get one or two more guys. No, I'm with you there. Um, so wrapping up, NLCS game three is tomorrow. ALCS game two is tonight at 8 o'clock on Fox. Sam, my concluding question for you is ultimately it didn't matter because of how Annabelle Sanchez pitched Friday. Um, But Daniel Hudson, the closer for the Nats, um, was not with the team for game one because he was there for the birth of his third child. And a lot of people in the media were giving him shit for that, to which Sean Doolittle said, if you say anything but congratulations and how is the child, you are an asshole. I agree with that, but I want to hear your thoughts, especially because a lot of people lost on Yom Kippur. (laughs) Can you imagine having that be your take? Like get no, get real. I get get real. Like that's crazy. Yes, you are definitely an asshole if that's what you think. Nope, I am uh, with you there, uh, Sam. Any concluding thoughts you want to get in uh, before we wrap the show up? Uh, Rangers lost their first game yesterday. Tough, but Capacaco scored, so that was nice. Um, Capo, otherwise, what's his name? Capacapa. Capacaco. Taco Caco. Taco Taco. There you go. Yeah, um, big game, big game tonight. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Go Yanks. 
And uh, here's to a good week of baseball. And by this time next week, we will know who was playing for the commissioner's trophy in the 107th edition of the fall classic, the world series with Sam Beck. You mean, my name is you mean who, you mean who will be playing against the Yankees for that trophy? God willing, brother. God willing. Yeah. <laughs> with Sam yeah. Beck, my name is Chase Minorski. Have a great week. This is the underdog sports baseball show. Hey, hey, mama said the way you move. Thank you.